curious about tonight is I'm wondering is if anybody, after what we talked about last week, had any opportunity to talk to anybody. Anybody have that opportunity? I see a hand back there. Anybody else? All right, Pastor. You get paid to do that, though, right? You've, that's, yeah, that doesn't count then. All right, I saw a couple more hands. I want to encourage you, from what we were talking about last week, to just be open to what God is going to do. You know, somebody told me a long time ago, and I'm glad they did, because, you know, sometimes I think we get the idea that in the Christian life it's on us and up to us, and that it's all up to us. Anybody ever feel like that other than me? And we forget that there is a God of the universe who actually cares about our lost friends more than we do. You know that? And not only that, he has a plan for them, and he has a strategy, and he is desiring to have relationship with them far more than us. And we forget that his part in it is bigger than ours. A lot of times our part is really just being obedient. And he's working all of these ways that we can't even tell. Not only through what we're doing, but through what other people are doing in their life, the experiences these people have experienced. So as you're praying, I don't want you to ever feel guilt or I don't want, unless it motivates you a little bit. But I, that's not my intention. My intention is for you to be encouraged and to give you more strategies and some ideas on that. That's my intention. That is my goal. What we're going to do tonight, though, is uh, we're going to talk a little bit. I'm excited about the opportunity to minister with you. And I, I, I wanted to say, too, I was really uh, impressed with Jeff this last Sunday. Anybody else? Great job. Incredible job. I, I don't have as good of props as he did, but. And I know with that pastor, that president up there, I was talking to pastor later. Some of us were kidding him and asking him if he thought that was for him. But he said he did not because it was pink. So he was ready. (laughs) Y'all didn't hear that, but he said, uh, Jeff's colorblind, but he's not dumb. My wife tells me I'm colorblind. I don't know if it's true, but she always tells me that doesn't match. So I've changed clothes three or four times, but. Do y'all miss the real, the real matches with the little white tips? They don't make those anymore. <laughs> well, it's hard to find them. Can anybody smell that? It stinks? Does it? I'm going to try to uh, help that smell be a little sweeter for you in a minute. How about that smell? Can you smell that? Isn't it interesting how powerful smell is? I'm always amazed... You know, there's certain smells. I mean, there are people who even have incredible businesses based on smell. Aromatherapy. Anybody ever done that? You be honest. I don't think it's all crazy. I think it, I think it makes sense. I mean, there's things that, that make us feel more calm or comfortable. And I know some people talk about calming colors. And I know those things are real too. But I, what I'd like to do for just a few minutes with you, I just want to mention some, some things that smell. And I want to... I want us to think about it for a minute and think about how that affects you and what memories come up in your minds. How about, how about the smell of a, of a dog, a wet dog? You know how sometimes they, um, you love them just at a distance. I mean, they can get so close and then all of a sudden you're smelling like a dog and you don't want to pet them, but you can't help it and they're doing this on you. How many of you ever had that happen when you're washing your dog? Now you're all taking a bath. How about um, Curry. I'm not saying this for you, Neil. I'm just saying. But I enjoy, I enjoy curry, but it's a powerful smell. 
And there's been times where I've been walking by and I'll smell that smell and I'll think, hmm, okay. And I remember the last time I went, there was this great, in St. Paul, we lived in, in North St. Paul and there was a great Italian buffet, or not, Indian buffet. And you can get all these different choices, which was, you know, wonderful. So you weren't, you know, obligated to just order one thing. I don't know about you, but coffee to me, the smell of coffee, that's what this candle is. Anybody smell this yet? I love, thank you. <laughs> Probably all of us that are coffee addicts, you're smelling this. And it's a coffee smell. And it's something about the smell of coffee that I just love. Now, my family doesn't always share that with me. Like, I love opening that coffee the very first time when you open that, you know, that little, that little foil deal. And that smell comes out. And then, you know, it, it does not fail. I usually do that in the morning. One of the kids will come down. What is that? That's, that's beautiful is what that is. That's what I'm telling you. You go to that next picture even because there's one on there. Go to the next one. See, if they actually sold that, I'd probably buy it. <laughs> if that was real. Of course, some smells aren't as good like body odor. You know, you ever been in a tight place and somebody just didn't have the same hygiene that you? Maybe you were traveling. I know one time I was, uh, anybody ever been to the, the uh, I know, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I saw that picture and I was like, for real? That's, that looks real. I think that really happened at some point. I'm not sure why, but anybody ever been to Statue of Liberty it, up inside it? If you have never been, you need to go see that. But I'll just warn you ahead of time, this close quarters. And if you go up the stairs, literally there will be times where you are walking for, and it depends on how crowded it is, but I know the time I was there is in July and New York weather can be just like here, nice and humid. And I was inside there, nice close quarters, and I was literally standing with my nose right in the middle back of the man in front of me. And let me just say, that was a long hour and a half. And when we were done, I think all of us felt like we, had not, we needed a shower. And it wasn't, it just, we just felt like that smell was on us. I mean, I, I think you know what I'm talking about. How about barbecue, though? We live in Kansas City, home of barbecue. That's one of the best things about living here for me. I love it. I, we, we eat barbecue everywhere, and I... It's been my, one of my personal goals to try every one, every barbecue place there is. And just, I, we just, I, you know, I had missed bandanas and we, we went there the other day and I'm glad we did because it was good. I forgot it. It was good. I enjoyed it. Uh, fresh cinnamon rolls. Pastor has a thing about cinnamon. I have to admit, I do too. And um, man, just looking at those and fasting. Man. Yeah, it does. It stinks. How about, how about campfire smells? Do you love that? I do. I love it on my clothes. And then the next day you can just, you know, we have, we'll, we'll do a fire pit at our house sometimes. And, uh, you know, it, even when you're there and experiencing it, sometimes you're not smelling it. And then later, later as I'm, you know, that shirt's hanging there and you think, wow, that was, I just love that smell. It brings back so many good memories. You know, times camping with the family or with my dad or, right, to me that, or, or you know, being from California on the beach, you know, that, you do that a lot on the beach out there. You know, have a big fire pit and sometimes a really big fire pit, you know, but police will come and tell you. And then you'll, yeah, anyway. We did the matches already. Anybody know what cordite is? Anybody love that smell? Anybody here shoot or enjoy firearms? Well, I'll smell that smell and that just rockets me back to being a kid and times with my dad and we'd go out and, and target shoot. Those are just special memories that that smell, it can be anywhere. Now, sometimes if you smell it in the wrong places, it's alarming. <laughs> you think, well, what does that smell? That can't be, can't be a gunfire. Hopefully not. Skunks. Anybody else love? You know what? I love that smell just in small quantities. Anybody else like that? Very small, you know, but 
Not, you know, not, I don't want to hit one or be right up on it or be sprayed, but we, <laughs> one time, one time I was riding, I had a, a motorcycle, we were riding a motorcycle and a friend was riding with me, uh, Nicole, it was Don Crosswhite. We were riding and we, we came by the skunk and we thought he'd been hit and it, it was, it wasn't too gross, but we thought it'd be funny if we put that, we were, we had gone and seen a movie with some people. So we thought it'd be funny if we picked that up and put it in their car. So we did that. We thought we were all clever. As we're walking back to the bike, we're thinking, man, that thing is, it smells worse than it did. You know, we're riding, we get back, we smell like skunk just because we touched it. Wouldn't even, I mean, I didn't hit it, didn't step in it. I mean, just barely touched the little hairs on his tail and I still smell. Powerful. Smells are powerful. Anybody remember the first time you uh, came across something dead, decayed? Remember that? Even to this day, if I smell that smell, it can be anything. It rockets me back to the first time I saw it and the first animal I saw. It was, it was gross. <laughs> I'm not sure what that picture is. It's just, you know, smelly feet, all that kind of stuff. How about fresh cut grass? How about, how about an old attic? Anybody ever climbed up in an attic just to explore? I mean, I know I, I worked for an electrician for years, and that wasn't as fun in the attic times. But there are other times that I remember, like going to my grandmother's house and climbing up in the attic, and they're just the things you would find. I mean, it, it, they weren't really treasures, nothing like you see on TV today, but just something that was just special, and those memories, that smell. It's an incredible smell. How about, how about perfumes? This happened. This is a true story. I was walking through the mall one day. It was years ago. And as I was walking, this lady walked by, and I flipped around, and before I could stop myself, I almost called her grandma. It was so embarrassing. And I said, I don't know what I actually said. I didn't actually get that out, but whatever I got out was enough to catch her attention. She looked at me like, what? She's a little bit older lady, but not as old as my grandma. You know, I'm thankful I didn't get the whole thing out, but she was wearing the exact perfume that my grandma used to always wear. And for some reason, it just caught me that way. And, and I don't know if she, her, you know, I kept thinking later, why? She didn't look like my grandma, you know, but, and she didn't even really walk like my grandma. I don't know what it was other than just the smell and her brushing by. And all I thought of was playing crazy eights. And my grandma used to always cheat. She used to always cheat. And then she would just laugh. And then she would win and she would rub it in. It used to annoy my little sister. But man, I thought it was just so funny. Here she is, just my grandma, just being silly. What is it about that? What is it about smells? Maybe for you it's something else, but smell is powerful. It's a powerful thing. Now, we have a lot of senses. We have the five senses. And, but smell, they say, is the one that's the most closely tied to memory. We don't know why that is. You can look at pictures and you remember things. But, but I know that as I've mentioned these things, that your mind has rocketed you literally back to a place. And when that happens, you can see the whole scenery. I want to take you to a portion of Scripture this evening that is one of my favorite portions of scripture. And really, I'm sure you've probably heard sermon after sermon, probably five or six different sermons out of this section of scripture we're going to look at today. But if you would, turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. If you were to read the area around this scripture, you would notice that up until this verse, Paul is actually kind of given a little, little history on where they had been. He's talking about the trip that they were on. And then just like he does, I love reading Paul because... He is so real. I mean, he's writing a letter. You have to remember, he's writing a letter. He's not writing a travel log. He's writing a letter. And then in the letter, what happens is it sparks something in his memory. So for the next, like, let's see, this is, this is chapter two, uh, all the way until 
chapter 7, verse 4, he goes into this whole, he just goes into this whole thing about, we're going to talk a little bit about it. We're not even going to do the whole thing. But he just, he just goes off. I love that about Paul. You know what else I love about it? That, that's one of the other things, and we'll talk more about this in the future, but that's one of the reasons you can trust the Scripture. Because if somebody was trying to make all this up, they would have done it better. They would have done it more orderly. They wouldn't have done this. Because this, as you're reading, you think, what is he doing? He was just talking about where they were. Now, all of a sudden, he's talking about aromas. Why is he doing that? Here's what he's doing. Let's read it together. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. What Paul is doing is he's bringing up a memory for people. Now, the memory he's bringing up is one that we've thankfully never had to experience. But in these times, if you would show us those pictures for a minute here, what he's reminding them of is the fact that Romans, the Romans, as they would come back from all their triumphs, what they would do is they would literally lead their captives in triumphal procession. But not just their captives, all the, the, the warriors would come and their families would come. And then as they would do that, the people would put out incense pots along the way. Now some, some historians say that was because they smelled bad. As they're coming off, you think about it. I mean, they didn't shower like us. And they've been out at war for months and months. And the captives certainly didn't get a chance to, sh- to shower. So if you go back to that picture with the, tr- the procession, you can see that's, that's a print from like the 1600s. And here you're seeing a, a procession going through. This is actually the Arch of Titus. And if you were to go to the Roman Forum today, it probably looked more like that back in, back in Roman times. But the ruins of it are still there. And one of the reliefs that you can see in the, 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 the Arch of Titus, that's what it looks like today. And on the inside of it are pictures of actually when he uh, destroyed Jerusalem. So you'll see this. He's, there, you're seeing some of, the, some of the soldiers coming in. And you can see in front of them are probably some slaves. And then the next picture, you'll see a relief of um, actually some of the things that they took out of the out of the Jewish temple. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and then this happened in about 71. And you look at that next picture, it shows a little bit better picture, better lighting. You can see the, you know, obviously the candlestick and some of the other things right from the temple. But let's think about this for a minute. Let's look back at the scripture for a second. It says, thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To to one we are the aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Now think about it for a minute. If you were Paul and you're writing to this church in Corinth, as you're writing to them and he mentions this, they're going to have an exact picture of this. Because they would have seen it multiple, multiple times. And they would have understand not only the imagery here, but they would have understand, understood both sides. Because if you, if you were on the side of the Romans, you would be, that smell would remind you of triumph and great things. But if you were one of the captives, you would be thinking about death. Because if you were one of the slaves, that would be a smell that you would associate with your captivity and also your, your, your humility. Sometimes they would parade them through town naked just to humiliate them even further. And they would, they would carry big signs that talked about what they had done and who they had conquered. And, and if they had had great battles, what they had done in battle. All those things would have been what, what Paul was trying to help them remember. What I want you to think about today, though, is what he's saying to us as Christians is that we actually have an aroma. 
and that everywhere we go, we are reminding people of something. Think about that for a minute. And let me just ask you, how do you smell? How'd you smell today? There had to be a time today where you were in, in and around somebody, and at some point, they got a whiff of something. My question to you this, this evening is, was it good? Well, what did they smell? And as they smell, what did it remind them of? Was it something good? Let's look at the next verse. He says, unlike that we're going to look at tonight, or we're going to look at a couple, but the next one I want to look at is, is out of chapter 2, verse 17. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. What was happening in the early church at this time is, is some people who were professional orators, they were professional speakers, they would go from church to church just to make money. And as they would do that, he uses this word pedal, which, you know, we translate it accurately in, the, in, in English, but it actually is a word associated with adultery. And in this reference, in this context, what it, what it meant was uh, some people would pedal. What they would do is they would mix water with their wine to stretch it out a little bit so they could make a little bit more money. So what he's saying is we don't do that. We give it to you straight. We don't mix it. But some of these professional people, that's what they would do. Then he says in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Basically, what Paul is saying is he doesn't need a reference letter. Because you remember, this is 2 Corinthians He'd already been to Corinth. He'd already written him a previous letter. This is a second. Some people believe there are actually four letters or more. I mean, we don't have necessarily every letter he wrote to every church at every time. But the point is, he didn't need a reference letter. He, what he's saying is that very church was his reference letter. Do you realize that everywhere you go, you represent Pastor Bill Newby? When you say, I'm from Crown Point Church, you are a representation of Pastor Bill Newby and his ministry. And the influence and the effects that he has had on this church and you as a people. You are his recommendation letter. You, you literally are his recommendation letter. Just as the Corinth, the people in Corinth were the recommendation letters of Paul. And then Paul takes it a step further. And he says, not only that, but you're a recommendation letter of Christ. Read by all men. Written not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Man. Think about that for a minute. I asked you a minute ago how you smelled, but now I'm going to have you think about this. As people read your life, and they do, right? You know what's funny about this? Christians, or Non-Christians know how we're supposed to act. You know that, right? They know. Otherwise, there'd be no basis for them to call us hypocrites, right? Because they know just as well as we do how we're supposed to live. So when they read something in our life that doesn't quite add up to what they know we're supposed to be about... It's an easy target for them to say, oh, see, hypocrites are all hypocrites. Nobody can live it. It's not real, right? I'm wondering, though, what have people read in you today? We're walking billboards for Christ. Everything we do. I worked at a church. I haven't worked at very many churches, but one of the churches we worked at, literally the board voted that we would not put the name on the church van (laughs) of the church. You do. (laughs) Because we represent Pastor Bill Newby. And what they literally said is, what we're worried about is that as you're driving around, 
that you might do something or break a law or cut somebody off, and that would reflect poorly on the church. I was so devastated. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. How sad. We should be doing this as advertising. Make it the best looking it can be and, and advertise for this church everywhere we go. <laughs> but I understand it. I get it. Think about it for a minute. What, what, have you, what have people read in your life this week? Let's go a little further. Uh, verse 4, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If I were to ask you today, who are the ministers at Crown Point? Before we read this scripture, what would you have said? You might have listed a couple of us, right, that get paid to do this. You may not have said, I'm a minister. Now, some churches do call each other ministers. You hear this a lot. I mean, some of the churches in the city do that. I know the Mormon church does. You've got elder so-and-so and minister so-and-so. And, and I, unfortunately, I don't think that they are doing that necessarily in the spirit of this verse. But what I would like you to hear today and what I will want you to understand that as Paul is writing this to the Corinthians, he is literally telling the people in the church that they are ministers, ministers of this new covenant. In other words, it is their responsibility, their job, their God ordained responsibility to to take this new covenant, the whole information about it and tell other people. Can I be honest with you about something? I wish God had done it different. I do. Because I feel like I'm inadequate for that task. I wish he would have done it different. I mean, if you think about it for a minute, if you were God and you were thinking about, say you and Jesus, Holy Spirit hanging out, and you're thinking, how are we going to reach humanity? Created them, loved them, gave them everything they needed, and yet they still turned. How would you convince them? Would you come as a helpless, poor baby? Impoverished little baby? (laughs) Couldn't even be born in a nice place? Would you come that way? No, I wouldn't. How would you come? You would come just like humans and human beings have created gods for all eternity. You would come just like the Greek gods, right? That's what they were thinking. If, if they were God, they would come as some massively built, shining person. That's how we would come. Some God that would tell people, no, you're going to do what I said because you're just going to be amazed by me and you have no choice. We'd be dictators, wouldn't we? Isn't that how we would do it? If you're honest, I would come come with way more power and glamour than than what jesus did but that's not how god chose to do it not only that i would work it like this i have an uncle who's not a christian and and every once in a while we'll go back and forth and talk about politics and we'll talk once in a while about faith he did get married his third wife he married a unitarian and that's been really interesting conversations and he doesn't care so he just but here's the thing as many times as he and i have talked about christianity and faith you know, I want to maintain that relationship. And we, you know, I try gently every once in a while, we'll get this email exchange going. You know what I wish? I wish I could say, Uncle Warren, I got a friend who's going to be stopping by later. His name is Jesus. And he's going to lay it all out for you. Might even do a miracle. I don't know. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be cool? And I could just send Jesus there and he would show up. And then every question he had would be, wouldn't that be nice? Why didn't God do it like that? Why do he do it like the way he did it where people read me and smell me and I'm the minister? Why? 
Why would he do it like that? You know what? I think he did it that way because he wanted true disciples and real love. He's not a dictator. He's not a God that makes you serve him or not. He's a God that gives you the choice because that's what real love is. I mean, we all know the fairy tales and you see some poor little princess and she has no choice and she gets captured and she has to marry the big bad king and right. That's a story we all know. We've heard it forever. Why would we think God would be that story? Of course not. Our God is a God who loves us and wants an honest, wholesome choice from us. Choose to serve him. And why did he choose to, to reach people that way? Man, that's a good question, and I'm not sure. But I think it's because he wants true disciples who are really going to follow him for the right, right reason. So when I tell you tonight that you are the ministers of the gospel, I don't want you to get the impression that that's God's plan B. That's God's plan A. That's how he designed it. He designed for us to be the one to reach people. You know what else? Just This is a side note. I'm going to do, do a Paul here. an extended digression, no, a little digression. He also didn't set it up for for the professional ministers to do it. He did not. I know I mentioned that in passing last week, but he did not set it up that way. Ephesians 4 plainly says that our job is to train you to do it. And think about it, it's way more effective that way. I mean, if you have to say, hey, could Pastor Newby come over and talk every time you needed to reach someone? How effective would that be? How much more effective would it be if the people who are reading your life every day and smelling you every day see the truth in you? How much more authentic is that? And who knows your relatives better than you and your friends better than you and works in the circles that you work in better than you? I'm not a car salesman. Darren is. Darren can reach those guys far better than me. I mean, if I walk up, all of a sudden they've got all these preconceived ideas of who I am and what I do and what I'm about and... And where I'm coming from, they know him. He doesn't have to go through all those barriers. Okay, enough of the digression. Let's go to the next, the next portion of scripture. Uh, wherever, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Real quick thing. I skipped a bunch of scriptures in there, which I would encourage you to read. And what, what Paul is doing there is Paul loves to use imagery to remind people of things. Now, these Corinthians were probably mostly Greeks and not Jews, although there were probably some Jews in the mix there. And what he's doing here in the, the verses previously, he's reminding them of the time. Remember when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and got the tablets? Remember that? Remember what happened when he came down and the people were all afraid because his face was glowing because he'd seen God's glory pass by? Do you, anybody remember that story? Well, in case you didn't remember, here's what happens. Moses asked to see God, and God says, you can't see me because you would die. Anybody, no one can see me. So he says, I'm going to pass by, and as I pass by, you can look. And then when Moses comes down, his face is glowing. So the people say they're afraid. So Moses wears this veil so that they don't have to see the glow. But here's the sad part. Moses was human too. And then as the glow started to fade, he kept the veil on. He kept the veil on. We kind of do that too, don't we? But anyway, that's not really part of what I'm going to talk to you about. That's the imagery, though, he's referring to with this veil. And he says, when everybody turn, anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away so they actually see God's glory. Now the Lord is spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with every increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Here's what Paul is saying to these people. He's saying... Each one of us should be reflecting God's glory. 
In other words, when they see us, they don't really see us. They see Jesus because he's the one inside of us animating us and being the one that they see. And I love this part about it. You know, there, there are very few wasted words in scripture. As you read it and you think it might be saying that, usually it is. Here's what it's saying here. I love this. He says, we are being transformed. One unfortunate thing with being Americans in 21st century is we don't really know our grammar that well. And what you may miss by this is you may miss the fact that what Paul is saying here is we're not, we haven't arrived yet and that's okay because what God is doing in us is an ongoing work that is continually transforming us. It's a process that begins at our salvation and really never ends until we, go, we end up in glory. But the truth is we are being transformed and that is a continuing process. So I'd imagine that some of us reflect Jesus a little better than others. How many know anybody that you know for sure they reflect Jesus more than you? I, I do. I know those people. And when I'm around them, I think, man, I wish I was more like them in this area or this area. Because I see in them the Jesus that I wish people saw in me. And very seldom can we really see what he does see in us. There are times people may tell you or, or maybe, you know, if you're, if you're not too insecure, you can ask somebody, do you see Jesus in me? I mean, do you really? I mean, where, where do you see him? I'm really curious. Or worse, maybe you might ask, where don't you? How many of you ever um, <laughs> needed to see a mirror? I don't look very often. I'm not really interested in what I see. But, but how many of you have ever done that where you look into a mirror and it's a little smudged? Maybe a little dark. And you just kind of rub it a little bit just to get it a little cleaner. Because you want a clearer image. Can I encourage you about something? Pastor has set the stage very well tonight, along with the worship team, that we we could spend some time in prayer tonight. One of the things we might need to do is do a little rub it on that mirror. Because the truth is, every single one of us have some areas wherein we could grow and reflect Christ a little bit better. Let's look at one last portion of scripture here. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You know, clay jars in this time when Paul wrote were the most common jars that you could have. Because they're cheap. Almost anybody can make your own if you wanted to. They're simple. They're plain. And just like some of us, you might think you're going to outfox, you know, criminals or thieves and hide precious things in something, you know, the cookie jar. It's not a new idea. It's kind of what Paul was talking about. Because a lot of times people would hide a treasure and put it in something. You know, I have people have that rock they stick a key in. It blends in the garden or something. You know what I love about this? What this tells me is it's not really meant to, to, to be a negative thing and say that we're not important or we're not special. That's not, that's not this verse. There's plenty of verses that say that, that we are special and important. What what Paul is really saying here is that God chose to use the ordinary. I didn't put the scripture on the screen, but one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible is Acts 4.13. In that scripture, that was the, that's right after, remember P- Peter and John were walking in the gate beautiful and the leper was, or the, the crippled man was there and they thought he was going to give them some money and instead they said, silver, remember the song? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. And that guy went jumping around and all that. Well, when they put Peter and John on trial, 
the Jewish leaders looked at each other and said, what is going on here? These are ordinary, unschooled people. What's happening? How can this be? And then they said, they could tell that they had been with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus makes a difference. He takes these ordinary pots and does something amazing with them. And he does it for the very reason that he states right here to show that the power is from God and not for us. When I started off tonight, I, I was careful to say that we get the idea that sometimes it's us and we may feel insignificant or that we haven't done the right things or that we're not good enough or that we don't have the right words or that, that we're, our life isn't perfect enough, our mirror's not shiny enough. But it's not really about that. If you're willing to let God use you, the truth is that he takes these ordinary pots these clay jars, and he chose to put that treasure in them. That treasure, we get the opportunity to reveal the plan of the universe, the God, the, the God that loves them to these people. We, we get the treasure to tell people that their life doesn't have to go on this downward spiral. Sometimes you can tell them, look, I was there and I know what you're living. I know where this ends up and you don't want to be there. You get that opportunity I think God gave us that. One of the reasons he chose to use us instead of come down like some Greek God is because we get to be reminded over and over that it's not us. There's no room for arrogance here or spiritual pride. The truth is that every one of us are those clay pots that are common and ordinary. But in the hands of God, they hold a treasure that will change lives. Two questions. How many of you have seen God change a life? Raise your hand. I'm, I think it's important for us to see these hands. How many of you had God change your life? Okay. Oh, man. I, so let me ask you again. How do you smell? I love, I love, uh, I love a lot of what Jeff said. I wrote a lot of things down. I'm going to use them a lot steal those things. But since he's here tonight, I'll give him credit about this one thing. But I think it was his, your father-in-law who said, if he goes to church and his toes don't get stepped on, he feels like he hadn't been to church. That's a good attitude. You know, what's good about that is it's expectation. So many people come and they want their ears tickled a little bit and they just want to leave. You know, they don't want to be uncomfortable. They don't want anybody, you know, to push, to push too hard, nothing like that. But my challenge to you tonight is to really be introspective, open up your heart and mind to the Holy Spirit and, and really, how do you smell? How do you, I'm going to give you a couple of arenas and areas. How do you smell at home? You know, it's always a good test really to ask, if we were to ask your wife how you smell at home. How about your kids? When people come in your home, what, what does it smell like? What do they think? I'm not talking about having a picture of Jesus on the wall or, you know, that breaking bread picture, that, not the Christian pictures. That's not what makes a home a Christian home. What makes a Christian home a Christian home is the atmosphere that's there, the aroma. Do they, do they walk in and know that Christ is there? And one thing Nicole and I really want to do is make sure that as our kids bring friends over, you know, some of their friends have Christian homes, some of them don't. Man, we really want for them to sense that this is different here. And it's not different just because Nicole's really nice. That's not it. It needs to be different because this is a Christ home where people are Christians and they, we want these kids to know that there's a difference there. How much kindness and forgiveness is in that home? 
You know, one thing I could say about my dad is that um, he came from a rough upbringing. He was raised on a ranch in Northern California. His dad was really hard. Um, you hear these stories a lot, you know, walk to school, miles uphill both ways. Remember all those stories? I heard those stories growing up from my dad, and I used to always kind of take them with a grain of salt and think, I'm going to someday find out if this is true. And over the years, you know, I would ask my grandma, did this really happen? My dad said that every day as little kids that his dad would beat them in the morning because they were going to do something bad and then beat them when he got home because he knew they did something he didn't, they didn't get caught. I said, is that really true? And I remember my grandma saying, yeah, that was true up until I took a cast iron pan and hit him over the head. And then that stopped. <laughs> but that's how my dad was raised. And I remember my dad telling me one time that he swore that if God would ever give him kids, that he would never, ever do that. And he never did. In fact, his attitude around our house smelled like Jesus. Even though he wasn't really raised that way. His dad was Methodist, and actually his great-great-grandfather was a Methodist minister. And then my grandmother was Episcopalian, but my dad didn't really grow up in a Christian-Christian home. He didn't get saved until he was 20-something in the Navy. I don't recommend this, but he got saved because my mom was bringing him to church. But No, I, I recommend you bringing people to church. That's not the part I meant. She was dating a non-Christian. That's the part I don't recommend. Some of the memories I have, though, is, you know, my dad never argued with my mom in front of us, never yelled. In fact, we would way, it was way worse to get punished by him than my mom. Anybody else have parents like this? Because he was real calm and quiet. <laughs> We'd be crying, and he, and he didn't even tell, he'd do anything. He'd sit us down and talk to us. Then he'd spank us. It's just totally different, totally different situation. I have a distinct memory of helping him on, work on the car. I remember once um, in particular, you know, he's working on this. His hands are up in the car. I remember the wrench slipping. And since then, you know, that's happened to me a number of times. And I think of him because I remember as that wrench slipped and his hand went up in that engine and see his knuckles all bleeding and him just saying, Jesus, that was aroma. That smelled like something to me. I remember him taking me to prayer meetings at church and praying beside him. I remember um, one night I woke up in the middle of the night and I heard some weird sounds in the house. So I went exploring just to see what it was. And I remember making my way back to their bedroom and my dad was kneeling by the bed praying. And he was just praying for the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if he speaks in tongues to this day, but I remember him just desiring God. That was aroma. An aroma that made a difference in my life. So how do you smell at home? How do you smell at work? Man, Jeff, sorry, Jeff, I just, you, you really impacted me, but he, he said last week that there's some people maybe don't even know you're a Christian at work. It doesn't come up. Do people know? Could they tell? Would they be surprised? How sad would that be? Do you laugh at the jokes? Do you stand up for what's right? How do we smell as a church? I'm not trying to meddle here or anything, but I think you smell pretty good, to be honest with you. But let's think about it for a minute. How do we smell? When people walk in, I mean, even in Bible times, you know, is, do we treat people different based on the way they're dressed, by the way they look, by their skin color? Do those things make a difference? 
Do people feel like it's a warm, welcoming place? Do they feel like Jesus is here? Do they walk out saying, wow, that was different. This church is different. I'm not sure what it is, but it's different here. How do you smell? What do people read? Do you feel like you're being a minister of that new covenant? Are you reflecting the Lord's glory? I'd like you to bow your heads for just a minute. I'm going to invite you to the altar in a minute to pray. If you feel more comfortable praying in your seat, that's fine. Our desire is that you, you reach God tonight. And that if there's some things that you need to change and some rubbing on that mirror that needs to happen, that you do that tonight. Our world needs to see a real Christianity. Our world at its worst needs to see the church at its best. So how do you smell tonight? Would you stand with me? With your eyes closed, I just want to pray for a minute. I want to talk to you about some things. As we've talked about some of these areas in our lives, I know the Holy Spirit has probably been talking to some of you because I know even as I've been talking, he's been talking to me. He's amazing like that. He knows right where to talk to us. Maybe for some of us, it has to do with an attitude that needs to change at home or at work. Maybe for some of us, it's a, maybe we need to apologize to somebody that as I've been talking, that God has revealed that to you. I don't know. But I have two things that I want us to pray about tonight. Before we go to the altar, I just, I just want us to think for a minute. What are the areas in our life that we don't smell as good as we should? And the second thing is, I want God to continually put on our hearts people who we need to be talking to. And as those people read our lives, what are they reading? And who are they? As I pray for you, I just want to invite you to come and pray. Like I said, you can pray that where you are. But I just want to invite you to pray as I pray for you. You can come now. Father, we come before you tonight as as flawed people, as people who need your touch.